0: Marilyn Leisner is afraid of the water. Living in Times Beach, Missouri, a town that hugged the Merrimack River about 30 minutes outside St. Louis, she had a healthy respect for the water and what it could do.
1: I used to be nervous about the river. Uh, th- there had been so many people drowned in that river that I didn't want my kids in that river, but there were times when they would sneak down there and swim, they had a rope swing that, with a tire on it that went out over the
0: river. Times Beach back then was a close-knit, working-class neighborhood of about 2,000 people. Lots of folks in town worked at the Chrysler plant just down the highway. There was a baseball diamond where the hometown team, the Sons of the Beach, played. It was the kind of place where kids grew up to marry their high school sweethearts and stayed to start a family.
1: The babysitters here were absolutely amazing. I used to watch out for the kids across the street from my house. If they got in any trouble, they'd be blocks away from home, and the, the mother at the house would know about it before they got home because somebody else's mom had already called him and told him.
0: And in this small town, flooding was a fact of life. Marilyn and her family had the routine down.
1: We'd put things up on concrete blocks. Um, We'd tie the drapes up in knots so the water couldn't get to them. And practically every time that we did that, it didn't get into our home.
0: But the flood in 1982 was different.
1: We barely got out with our lives. We were at the last minute with the floodwaters lapping at the front porch.
0: With the water rising fast, Marilyn, her husband, one of their daughters, and the family's dog all got in a boat to leave. The water was swift, and a pallet rushing by hit the motor. It knocked out the forward gears. They had to escape in reverse. When the floodwaters crested on December 6th, 1982, they were 24 feet above normal. It was a 500-year flood. Homes were wrecked, heirlooms and photo albums ruined.
1: The damage, I, I have no pictures of my kids. Back then, we lost, we tried to salvage some of them. We lost all of those
0: pictures. Marilyn, who had spent 26 years in Times Beach, she and her family would never live in their home again or in Times Beach, for that matter. No one would. But not because of the flood. I'm Sam Evans-Brown, and this is Outside In, a show about the natural world and how we use it. As the water receded after the 1982 floods, when typically people would be getting ready to clean up, rebuild, reclaim their homes, the people of Times Beach got some bad news. Today on Outside In, producer Zach Dyer brings us a story of one of the biggest environmental cleanups in U.S. history and how society chooses to remember Times Beach, a town that's been wiped clean off the map.
2: This story starts back in the summer of 1971. That's when, inexplicably, dozens of horses in the area started to die. Next, birds and cats started to drop dead, and a few months later, two little girls came down with a mysterious illness. At first, it was like the flu with headaches and diarrhea, but then one day, the family had to rush one of their daughters to the hospital with terrible stomach pain. It turned out her bladder was inflamed and bleeding. And then more people in the area started to come down with similar nasty symptoms, rashes, nausea, headaches, hair loss. Federal health officials launched an investigation, but 10 years went by without much action. And then in November, 1982, just before the flood, the men in white suits showed up in Times Beach. Marilyn Leisner remembers it like it was yesterday. What was that like?
1: Some of the residents will tell you it was like a science fiction movie. We'll take one more spin through.
2: She drove me around to some of the places where she first spotted the white suits.
1: Here, their kids were out there playing in regular clothes, shorts, no shoes. And here's these men in these moon suits taking soil samples. It was scary. We knew they were
3: looking for something.
2: Cindy Reed was 36 years old when the men in white suits appeared in Times Beach.
3: They were down there getting samples out of yards. And they wouldn't tell you what they were doing. Oh, they wouldn't tell you? Oh, no. If you walked up and asked, them, that's what they would say, is they were getting soil samples for testing.
2: And what were what were they wearing when they were taking these samples?
3: Plastic, white plastic suits, like space suits, uh, hazard- hazmat suits. They were white with booties and hoods and gloves. And and we're thinking, oh, this is really good. We're just in natural stuff, breathing. And they're all in, you know, the masks and the... Uh, What's going on here if they can't come in here?
2: Faceless men in white hazmat suits prowling the streets, performing tests they won't explain is definitely not what anyone wants to see in their neighborhood. But the 2,000 residents of Times Beach didn't have time to worry about the men in the moon suits. They had a bigger problem on their hands. The river.
4: (laughs) had about eight, nine inches of rain in the last couple of days, and rivers are all out of their banks. The bridge out here at Highway 50 is about gone. It's underwater. Can't even see it. Can't even get out to it to take pictures of it.
2: Just weeks after the EPA started testing the soil, heavy rain hit Times Beach, and it didn't stop for four days.
3: And I guess it was afternoon, and we started to walk out, and I, I was about waist-deep in water. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that December was, that day was warm. The water was warm. Seasonably warm. Cindy and her family walked four miles to a dry
2: spot overlooking Times Beach. The town was wrecked. The streets where Michael and the kids would have had block-wide snowball fights and the field where the Sons of the Beach softball team played, all of it was sitting under feet of swirling, muddy river water. The grocery store where Cindy would do the family shopping, gone. Five feet of river water lapped at the walls of their living room.
3: And it it was, okay, what do we do now? And we took a vote. And Mike and Nick and I, we go back and we rebuild. You know, you do what you have to do. It's
2: Cindy and her family were determined to rebuild. Marilyn and other families came back, too, to see what was left of their homes.
1: We tried to clean up some things, but... Uh, On December the 23rd, there was a meeting at our community center, and we were told by the federal and state government that if we were out of town not to come back, if we were in town to leave.
2: And that's because the men in white suits had found something. It ended up that there were dangerously high levels of something called dioxin on the streets of Times Beach. Now, dioxin is a toxic byproduct of a lot of chemicals, but it's best known as an ingredient in Agent Orange. This is nasty stuff. Agent Orange was this herbicide the U.S. used in the Vietnam War, and it's been linked to skin burns, cancer, and liver failure in veterans. Mothers who were exposed to it had babies with these terrible birth defects. So. Keep that in mind when you hear that experts found levels of this stuff in Times Beach that were 100 times higher than what was considered safe. So, how did dioxin end up in a small town in Missouri? Well, like a lot of small towns with modest budgets, most of the roads in Times Beach were unpaved. And dirt roads can get dusty. Back then, one of the most cost-effective ways to control the dust was to spray motor oil on the roads. That's right, motor oil. And that's where this guy comes into the story.
1: My name is Russell Martin Bliss.
2: Russell Martin Bliss was a waste hauler who was hired to get rid of sludge from a chemical plant in southwest Missouri. Guess what this factory used to produce? Yep. Agent Never Orange.
1: affected me was I wasn't told what was in the oil. I wouldn't have known what it was if they had have told me what it was, if you want the truth.
2: We got this audio from a History Channel documentary.
1: You could tell me it was some kind of a new jelly and I put it on toast and eat it. But I didn't know what dioxin was. I swear to all of you, I had no idea this material was bad.
2: So he did what he always did mixed the sludge with the waste oil and started spraying it. He sprayed it at stables, church parking lots, even his own farm, and well, the dirt roads
3: in Times Beach. And we were told it was dioxin because Russell Bliss sprayed the roads. And all of the kids were saying, "What do you mean? I rode in that with my bicycle. I, you know, there wasn't a kid down there who didn't wear that oil." In
2: 1983,
3: just a few months after
2: the flood, and shortly after the guys in white suits discovered dangerously high levels of dioxin in its soil, Times Beach was named one of the first Superfund sites in the United States. You've probably heard of a Superfund site before, right? But what does it mean? Well... People back in the 1970s and 1980s were really freaked out by toxic waste, and rightly so. There were these two cases in particular that you've probably heard of. One of them is called Love Canal, which was this site in western New York outside Niagara Falls where there was this toxic waste that they had been dumping in the town for years. There was a school nearby, and well, you can put two and two together and assume the result was bad. The other one that caught people's attention was called the Valley of the Drums. This was a place outside Louisville, Kentucky, and the name kind of says it all. Thousands of barrels piled up in shallow pits leaking toxic waste into the groundwater. You should check it out on Google sometime. The pictures are mind-blowing. It's crazy to think that something like this happened in the United States. So. The Superfund law set aside more than $1.5 billion to clean up these places, but the money was also used to buy out residents who were living in these areas polluted like this. Because, let's face it, nobody is going to buy a house in a toxic waste dump. And that's what the government did next. It bought out the folks who lived in Times Beach. In 1985, the last family left. By this time, Marilyn was mayor, but she was a mayor with no town. The city had disincorporated. Times Beach was a ghost town.
4: A lot of the houses were like people had just basically stood up and walked out and never came back.
2: Gary Pendergrass was the project coordinator for the cleanup.
4: You know, dishes on the tables. There were a lot of Christmas decorations outside in the yard, so it was kind of a surreal scene.
1: Where you see the flowers, the, uh, the yuccas, those were people's yards. You see the area where there's no trees? That was a road. And of course, this is now a trail, but it was a road.
2: With the residents safely out of town, the EPA set out to clean Times Beach. But how do you start to clean up a town where toxic waste has been sprayed all over the place? You bury it.
1: This is the mound that we've talked about.
2: The EPA's cleanup plan said everything had to go.
1: And in that mound are all the homes,
2: everything that was left in the homes, the city equipment. All the debris, from the abandoned Christmas decorations to the town's water tower, was gathered up and piled in a mound that covered four football fields. Uh,
1: Everything that was precious to the people is in that home.
2: And the technical name for that mound? It's called a sarcophagus, a tomb, a tomb for a whole town. The EPA buried the remnants of Times Beach under a watertight barrier and capped it off with a foot of clean soil. Anything that couldn't get buried got burned.
4: You know, we're basically talking about burning soil.
2: That's David Shore. He was the director of the Missouri Department of Natural Resources during
4: the cleanup. It's a kiln
2: system. Any soil that had more than 10 parts per billion of dioxin was burned at temperatures high enough to reach something called six
4: nines. 99.99999 destruction level.
2: 250,000 tons of dirt was burned at Times Beach, including dioxin-tainted soil from more than two dozen other sites in eastern Missouri that Russell Bliss sprayed.
4: There was a lot of dirt. (laughs) I guess is the best way to phrase it.
2: Soil with less than 10 parts per billion of dioxin was buried under 12 inches of clean dirt one foot. That was it. So picture that scene. Homes raised, streets are all torn up, all the material is feeding either into a giant tomb in the ground or the mouth of an incinerator that's burning at more than 2,000 degrees Fahrenheit. It sounds like some kind of hellscape, right? But during all of this, something else was happening.
4: Mother nature takes over. There were all kinds of deer. There were all kinds of bunnies. There was all kinds of critters. And I remember sitting in Times Beach, beautiful sunny day, with one of my good friends and colleagues, John Young, who was responsible for the project, and we were eating lunch. And we were both looking at each other going, be a hell of a park.
2: Yeah, Times Beach, the Superfund
0: site, was about to become a Missouri State Park. And we'll visit that park when Outside In returns. Hey, I'm Sam Evans-Brown. Before the break, producer Zach Dyer told us the story of Times Beach, a small town in Missouri that was first leveled by a catastrophic flood in 1982 and then turned into a ghost town after the EPA detected high levels of dioxin there. Then turned into a park? Yeah. And even though it seems crazy,
2: this sort of thing happens all the time. As of 2011, more than 100 cleaned-up Superfund sites... Sites like Love Canal and the Valley of the Drums have been turned into recreational green space. That means parks, soccer pitches, baseball diamonds, places that people associate with cleanliness and health. And it kind of makes sense, right? The surface is safe, but since you've got a thin layer of moderately laced dioxin soil that's just a foot below the surface, you don't really want people digging around out there. You want people to visit, but not stay. People...
4: (laughs) Are not supposed to be living in state parks. So you have a day experience. You don't have a, a significant time frame experience. You can come every day, and you're still not going to get the exposures that would be there for somebody who's living there, or or um, a, an exposure that would put you at risk.
2: The cleanup work was finished in 1997 after 12 years and more than $200 million, which meant a decision had to be made. What are
4: we going to
2: call our newly minted state park?
4: A cleaned up waste site alone is not a theme for a state park, but it's Route 66. And Missouri didn't have Route 66 in its estate. And Missouri's state park system is both historic and natural. Route 66 State Park opened
2: to the public in 1999. I asked Marilyn how she felt about her town getting turned into a state park.
1: The purpose of making it a park was to get rid of that stigma. I mean, they returned the land to something usable and beautiful. Um, but with with the, the former residents, it's like they feel like they have wiped out everything that they knew and loved here. That's that's part of the reason why uh, there are residents that won't come here anymore. There are residents that wouldn't come back here for any reason.
2: When you visit the park today, there's no sign or information on the grounds that says the town of Times Beach was ever there. There's nothing but a few groundwell monitors sticking out of the ground. In all fairness, yes, there is a visitor center for the Route 66 State Park. And yes, There is a small display about Times Beach. It has photos of what the town used to look like, and there is a bit about the dioxin scare. A plaque there commemorates it as, quote, one of America's greatest triumphs over environmental disasters. But to get there, you'd need to walk into a back room, past a gift shop, and the nostalgic neon road signs. And that's only if you knew to drive a couple miles down the highway from the actual park.
3: And it's not well marked, and,
2: it's just not much.
3: I think everybody from the beach kind of thought that visitor center would have a lot more on Times Beach than it does. Cindy Reed again. Because I mean, Route sixty six was a an important part of the country's history, and I have you know no problem with that. But there's enough space down there that they could have devoted a little bit more than one little corner, which is all they had when I was there, to recognizing that Times Beach was there and it. Uh, and it was a place, and it's not anything that to be ashamed of that you're from there. you know you didn't do anything. The dioxin part is is a half inch. the history part and the family part is two foot. so why should this half inch overrun everything else that went before it?
2: It's easy to lose sight of the story of Times Beach for the park that's there today, but it doesn't have to be that way. If you go just 30 minutes north, there's another park there that was also once a Superfund site. It's called Weldon Spring, a former munitions factory that processed uranium ore as part of the Manhattan Project in World War II. But at Weldon Spring, the site's history is celebrated, not hidden. There's a 10,000-square-foot museum, and tourists are even encouraged to hike to the top of the concrete dome that caps off the radioactive waste. The sarcophagus at Weldon Spring isn't a tomb. It's a plaque. And by comparison, Time Speech feels like a cover-up. There are
1: times when I go out that the name Time Speech comes up and people don't know about Time Speech. They've never heard of it. They, don't, they didn't know what happened here. It's coming up on 35 years since the dual disasters. And I go to the schools and I talk to the students in the seventh and eighth grade. The teachers do it because it was an environmental disaster that they want their students to know that happened and that these things can happen. And it's part of history.
2: A part of history. Just as long as there's someone still alive to tell it.
0: In was produced this week by Zach Dyer, with help from me, Sam Evans-Brown, Taylor Quimby, Maureen McMurray, Logan Shannon, Molly Donahue, and Jimmy Gutierrez. Special thanks to Elon Vo and David Havlick for their insights on Superfund sites. And speaking of Superfund sites, you should head on over to OutsideInRadio.org, where you yourself can stare at some photos from Times Beach today, as well as some other wild and crazy Superfund-themed images. Believe me when I say some of them are just out of this world. We featured music today by Ikimashu Aoi, Ari De Niro, Pottington Bear, and Blue Dot Sessions. Our theme music is by Breakmaster Cylinder. Outside In is a production of New Hampshire Public Radio.